0: We've been examining Satan and those that are with him, and it is very obvious as I ended last Sabbath with the comment that we indeed are in a battle with the deadliest of foes. Human battles don't compare, human fights don't compare with the fight that we're in with the devil and his hosts. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Uh, beginning with Paul's battle in Romans 7, 21 through 24. Now if the Apostle Paul who had had such a dramatic conversion Realize this. How much more should those of us who have been less used realize it? Romans seven twenty one. What does Paul say? He said, "This is after his conversion." Or those that tell us it's not. But if you read it carefully in the chapter, carefully you know it. It is because in verse twenty-two he says, "I delight in the law of God after the inward man." An unconverted person certainly doesn't do that. So that verse alone proves that Paul was a converted person when he wrote these words. You don't need any other verses to, to prove that. And yet he says, in spite of that, beginning in verse twenty-one, "I find in the law that when I would do good, evil is present with me." That's how we are. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I have no problem with what God says at all. I believe it all and would like to obey it all. That's my desire. But I see another law in my members, in what I am by nature. Warring. There's the the word warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity To the law of sin which is in my members. And he's so distressed about it. He says. Oh wretched man that I am. So he realizes he's in the battle. Who should deliver me from the body of this death? And I've explained many times. That's a reference to a dead body. Which is so heavy to carry. So he feels that his sinful nature. Is like a dead body. Which he has to carry around. Every moment of his life. It's a weight. A dead weight. He knew he was in the battle. And his words to the visible church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6 very plainly indicate that we're in the battle. Because if we weren't, we wouldn't need armor. Ephesians 6.11, and we've already read 12 last time, and, and I gave you an expanded translation which I developed. Only those who are in battle need armor. And Paul says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the stratagems of the devil. I me to give you a rendering of that which I've developed. I'll give it to you. Put on the complete equipment which is provided by God, just as a Roman man of arms puts on his equipment, Put it on that you may be able to stand your ground against the tricky methods and stratagems of the slanderer, even Satan himself. He may attack you in any area. That's what verse 11 is saying. Yeah. And then it's like into a wrestling match. That's close encounter. Hand to hand conflict. So, this indicates that we are in a battle. Romans thirteen twelve. We need to realize this. We don't need to keep our minds simply on our human bodies uh, being on earth. And uh, here, in, in a room like this, uh, in material circumstances, there is a war going on. A war between God and his, and his forces, and the devil, and his forces. And we are on one side or the other, and therefore we are involved with one or the other. And if we're on God's side, then we are confronted with what we're looking at here, for example, in Romans thirteen twelve, The night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And uh, it was through reading um, this verse and the verses that follow that Augustine, who has become so famous in church history, was converted. He heard the voices he thought telling him to take up and read. He took up and read. He saw his state, he saw who Jesus was, and he put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, after that, he and his friend Alypius rejoiced and went and told his mother who had prayed for his conversion. For Augustine had been rather a wild cultic type prior to that. So, this is a very wonderful passage used by the Lord. The history of the church remember Augustine was the forerunner of Calvin in many areas of sound doctrine, as I've said before we one time had a friend who always liked to be called an Augustinian instead of a Calvinist there may have been a little touch of pride there too, I don't know, but he was one of these types that liked to talk like that, and he was accurate he was right and it's through this that Augustine was converted 2 Corinthians 6-7 is another example It shows us that we are in a battle. By the word of truth, that's the first thing. By the power of God, that's the second thing. And by the armor of righteousness in the right hand and on the left. That's how Paul describes his life as a Christian. He described it earlier in verse 5 as in stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings. That was his life as a Christian. And then he also realized the need for the armor of righteousness. He was in a battle. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 Just as there were many things about our topic this morning... So there are many things about this. We need to know our enemy and we need to know that we're in a battle. But let us who are of the day say we're not of the night. We have the light. Be sober. That is, uh, you know, be thoughtful. Have a calm Collected mind. Putting on the breastplate of faith, continue b- to believe, in spite of everything, and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith, love, hope. Part of the armor. And then... Um, 1 Timothy one eighteen through 18-20 Paul is instructing Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus and he says to him in chapter 1, 18-20 This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou by them mightest war a good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. See, that's part of the warfare. Which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, and here again he gets down to names, all named names, of whom is Hymenias and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan. Here we see Satan tied in with this. As we've indicated in lessons past. That they may learn not to blaspheme. What a terrible thing to be given over like that. By God. To Satan. And then in 6.12 of the same letter. 1 Timothy 6.12. Timothy is told to fight the good fight, and I think I prayed that statement already tonight, fight the good fight of faith. So he realized that Timothy was in the battle, and he's giving him instructions for that. And in 2 Timothy 2, 3 and four, Second Timothy 2, 3 and 4, Thou therefore endure hardness, be ready for the hard life, As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be going with the flow anymore. You're going to be swimming upstream. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That's the worst thing can happen to you as a Christian. Getting entangled with the affairs of this life. So that soon you have no time to read the word. Soon you have no time to pray. Personally, Uh, Soon you have no time to do so with your family. Soon you have no time to do so with the church. You begin to forsake these matters because you have been entangled like in a net and you just can't get out. That's very sad because that is going to hinder you in the warfare. Now, if you can disentangle yourself, then it says, you please him who hath chosen you to be a soldier. See? So if God has chosen you as to be one of his own, he's not only made a saint out of you, but he's made a saint who is a soldier out of you. And you are in a battle. battle with yourself and a battle with Satan and his host who applauds what you are by nature. And then in um, chapter 4, verse 7, Paul is able to say, at the end of his life, these are amongst his last written words, I have fought a good fight. So as he looked back over his life, he knew from the moment of his conversion to that very moment, near to his departure from it, that it had been a fight. And he said, I have fought a good fight. He had come to know what it meant to struggle with himself and with Satan and his hosts and sinful society, both within the visible church and outside the visible church. And those of us who have been studying the life of Paul on Wednesday know what kind of a young man this was when he began. Jewish zealot of the strictest sort. But after he became a Christian, he went right on with the fight against all that he had been and all that he was by nature. It's obvious that we are taking sides if you read First Corinthians ten 1 Corinthians ten twenty. 1 Corinthians 10, 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, or devils, and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. There you have it. two sides the Lord and demons headed by the head demon the devil you can't be in both armies at once and even at the human level that makes sense (laughs) when America goes to war It is fighting against a foe, be it Saddam Hussein or anyone else. It doesn't go over and fight with Saddam Hussein against itself. In fact, if anyone does, they're called what? A traitor. And what used to happen to traitors? They were shot. You know, at one time, the law was exercised in our land, and in so-called civilized lands, and they were a lot better off many times than we are today, because those who would commit crime knew what they would suffer for crime. And that's true in some heathen lands today, even in some Mohammedan lands, Islamic lands. You steal. You get your hand cut off. You say, oh, how terrible. But you shouldn't have stolen. How come men have the propensity always to forget the bottom line? Oh, they cut my hand off. Just like that? No, I stole. Oh, well. See, that's 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 law. That's sensible law. But that's not exercised today much. It's sad when... When the heathen world is is, uh, more about this than those who profess to have a a Christian environment are. Very sad. You go to Singapore, for example. I understand. You've been there, Murphy. I understand they're very particular about their streets. I understand you have to be very careful about that or you might end up uh, in jail, right? Right? just for throwing something down in the street. What does that mean about Singapore? Well, it means probably it has clean streets. (laughs) Is that right, Murphy? He's been there. So, if you want to know all about it, talk to the world traveler. He's been many places in our world. So there are signs. And that's why, when the letters were written to the visible churches in uh, the Book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus, we have this statement again and again. The first letter in chapter two, paragraph or, or verse, uh, verse seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear. See, there's the attentive attitude that we were thinking about this morning. It's step one to unity. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So it's not just John that's writing his ideas. It's interesting, there's an article in the magazine I mentioned this morning, it's put out by the concerned people in the Presbyterian Church of America and uh, one of the articles in here is do we teach God's word or do we teach our opinions about God's word Um, this isn't John's opinion it's the Lord what the spirit saith unto the churches not John to him that overcometh see that implies what that implies a struggle, that implies a battle. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And in every letter it's that way. You look at the next visible church that's addressed. Um, that begins in verse 8, the visible church in Smyrna. The words we just read were addressed to the visible church in the city of Ephesus. Visible church in Smyrna. You uh, go to verse 11. Same thing. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Which is a description of the Christian in his battle and winning. In his battle and winning. Winning more than losing. And uh, the visible church uh, that's addressed in Pergamos, stated in verse 12, the city of Pergamos these are actual visible churches, and in no way should these be construed as representing church ages. There are those commonly called dispensationalists, who in many instances use a Bible called the Schofield Bible, that teaches that these various visible churches represent ages in church history. No, they don't. They just represent visible churches that existed back then in the first century. You don't take something like this and say... Well, this represents the first century. This represents a a few centuries after that. And then this represents the Middle Ages. And then this represents uh, after that. And then represents the Reformation time. And then it represents the time we live in just before the rapture of the saints. That's all the depraved mind. I was into that, so I know. There are a lot of people like that. No, these are churches that are addressed. And you notice, Pergamos is the same thing. Verse 17. To him the overcometh. So it goes on. Thyatira, church in Thyatira. Verse 18, another city in the Grecio-Roman world. Verse 26. And he that overcometh and keepeth my word unto the end. It's that way every time. Sardis 3 1. Visible Church of Sardis. Verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed. Verse 12 chapter 3, pertain to the church in Philadelphia, the visible church in Philadelphia. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Laodicea, verse 14. Verse 21. To him that overcometh, so to every visible church, this word is addressed. Within its ranks, there would be those who were hopefully overcoming winning the battle and they would have the blessing so that's what we're faced with we have examined Satan the devil his other names we have noted that he is accompanied by many fallen angels Demons—they are very active. Always have been since the beginning of time. Are just because we don't have an actual record as we have in the Bible of symptoms of these actions that we can see with our eyes. Yet they are there, I and mean, we may well be seeing them in some areas with our eyes. But it certainly does appear that some may be demon possessed in their behaviour. So we know that we have these enemies. That's a good thing to know. And we know that we're in the battle. That's good. So we know that the Christian life is not an easy life. Jesus did not promise his followers an easy life because it's a life that's contrary to the lifestyle and thinking of the ungodly and to Satan and his hosts. So therefore it's not easy. Now, we ought to consider then, how do we win? That's the fourth point. How do we win? Remember that so far, points that we have examined are the reality of the devil, the origin of the person who appears so mysteriously in Eden, his work, and now, how do we win? And the first answer to that might seem very simple. But the first answer to that is to note Jesus' victory. That's the first answer. To note Jesus' victory. That might seem surprising. But that is where it all begins. And I'll be dealing with that in the will of the Lord next Sabbath evening. Shall we pray? Lord, certainly have spent some time considering your enemy and it's good to know he is your enemy as well as ours and ours and we're thankful that you are the creator and he is but a creature and all who are his are but creatures you are the one who holds them in being You're the one who will finally cast them into hell and all of the reprobate with them. So Lord, if we find ourselves to be amongst your elect, make us very thankful for we are part of that people whom you have been taking out from the midst of mankind for your name. To glorify you and enjoy you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Lord, may we leave this meeting encouraged, knowing that we are sinners. And because of that, we are beset with sin very easily. The Bible describes it as the sin which does so easily beset us. We are in a battle. Not only with what we are by nature, but also with Satan and his hosts. Lord, if we could only see this with the human eye, we'd be shocked. This is what someone like Milton saw. Someone like Bunyan saw with their mind's eye, we need to see it too need to see that we are involved in what Bunyan called the Holy War. Those of us who have been born again are soldiers in your army. That's why the poet wrote, Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war. And one of the pieces of advice that's given right off is, looking on to Jesus who has gone before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Lord, we pray that we may have been instructed in the heart about these matters and may be different because of them. We realize that the Christian life is a struggle. But we're called upon to go on and overcome. So we look to you to continue to work in us, to will and to do, you your good pleasure. In Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we win? That's going to be our topic. The big topic it is. I'm sure if I were to ask you tonight, do you want to win? You'd raise your hand and say, yes, I want to win. Everyone wants to win never saw a team yet that didn't want to win. never saw an athlete yet that didn't want to win. You ever met a team that said, well I'm going out there to play, but you really don't want to win? Or a guy that's getting ready to run a race, 400 meters or something, mm-hmm. and you say to him, well, why are you running? Well, I really don't want to win. Never, stupidity. The same should be with us in the Christian life. We should want to win.